Welcome to the latest edition of the ISAS podcast, South Asia Chat. Today we are going to talk about cryptocurrencies. It's a subject of great attention and also controversy surrounding its developments, particularly in India and also the rest of the South Asian region. I am Amitendu Palit, Senior Research Fellow at the Institute of South Asian Studies. And with me today here on the South Asia chat, we have a very distinguished guest, Mr. Vivan Saran, who has been regularly commenting on the subject of cryptocurrency and its associated regulations. Vivan is the secretary of the Asia Center, a think tank in Delhi, and also runs a prominent research consultancy, the Kwan Advisory. Vivan, welcome to the episode. Thank you for having me, Amit Induji. Thank you so much, Vivan. Uh, we would like to start having your uh, views on a little bit of a background that I'll be happy to share, and I would like to have your uh, perspectives on those. What we see in terms of numbers is that the cryptocurrency market uh, in India has grown by more than 600% uh, last year. And purely in terms of valuation, it is expected to be almost at around $250 million by the end of 2030. So by all yardsticks, uh, these are very significant numbers that we are going to see. In fact, India right now has the largest number of crypto holders in the world. Uh, it's growing quite strongly as far as the per capita crypto users in the country are concerned. So Vivan, uh, if we could start by having your thoughts on how do you explain this uh, veritably explosive growth of cryptocurrency usage in India? I think there are uh, at least three reasons. There may be more. As you were uh, sort of giving your introduction, I, it, it prompted these uh, thoughts. Uh, you know, first, of course, as you said, COVID has accelerated digitization and digital markets across the board. It's not just the case with crypto. But uh, one thing that's integral to crypto is if you try to experiment, uh, Dr. Palet, and I would encourage you to, to download one of the, you know, uh, available applications to uh, trade in um, crypto assets or cryptocurrencies, you just see the kind of ease of transaction. It's uh, quite mind-boggling for somebody who's been struggling with DMAT accounts and bank uh, statements and so on and so forth with the traditional banking and financial infrastructure and this is actually this convenience in my view of transacting just the fact that you can transfer into say uh, an exchange application or an application run by any of the prominent exchanges uh, within a matter of seconds through the retail payments infrastructure um, which uh, India has developed over the last 10 years and made quite robust. And uh, you you can sim do a very simple KYC, simple but effective, again, online and within 12 hours or 24 hours, you, you can activate your account and then begin to trade so seamlessly that that digital interface and user interface is really something that uh, appeals to a lot of users um, and has broadened the 
uh, inclusion potential of uh, of uh, cryptocurrencies and new financial instruments more generally i mean you're seeing this also in traditional finance now with the likes of zerodha and others who have made um, brokerage services much more accessible in yester year you had to go through run through all sorts of hoops to be able to access even basic brokerage services and know what's going on and you know have be able to requisition any details on your account that you needed and so on and so forth so one is digital interface and digital inclusion um and just the seamlessness of it all which is building on top of the stack of technologies that uh, have been developed and um dispersed in the market over the last 10 years um including traditional fintech the second of course is that inclusion has translated into a broad base of consumers from tier 2 and tier 3 cities joining the bandwagon and it's interesting because i don't think there's a neat overlap between the people who are in, invested in cryptocurrencies and those who are invested in stock market so you'll have unique uh, you know so to speak investors who are not invested in any other securities maybe they have a little bit of gold maybe they have property some land but uh, there's a high probability that quite a significant chunk of these new uh, investors so to speak are not actually invested in indian stock markets which bodes well for inclusion because it gives them access to a trading ecosystem familiarizes them with the financial ecosystem more broadly because as i said it's a stack of services that you become familiar with not just the interface of uh, the exchange or uh, the cryptocurrency trading environment itself uh, and uh, so we have about 15 million indian investors in the cryptocurrency ecosystem at least as far as uh, what the reporting uh, informal and formal by exchanges has been uh, in in the press and in uh, cl- behind closed doors this is about uh, the size of the the uh, the participation in the market in india which uh, dr palit is interesting because it's also about half right now of the total number of stock market investors in the country now as i said there's no neat overlap there may be an overlap between 5 or 10 million of these but certainly i would hazard a guess that about a third would be completely new participants to any kind of a trading environment or financial ecosystem in that sense beyond the basic banking stack that uh, everyone can avail now with the jandhan aadhar mobile trinity that this government brought in in 2014 and the third and final i think factor is common again to the larger digital application space which is um the liquidity uh, that uh, has been brought into india through venture capital private equity and so on and then been invested into some of the projects around cryptocurrency that have scaled particularly in the exchange space so we have about uh, two uh, at least two uh, billion dollar plus valuation exchanges in the country now that have also that also uh, receive investments from uh, large global exchanges as well as of course as i said venture capital and so on and you have a billion dollar valuation plus cryptocurrency itself which is called uh, uh, matic which is run by a company called polygon which shot to prominence again in the covid era so uh, this has also brought eyeballs to the entire industry it has given them the ability to compete and scale and uh, and manage this complex uh, ecosystem and the volumes that it entails 
Thank you, Vivan. That was uh, very illuminating. And uh, I think uh, from what you explained, the convenience, the inclusive character, and the fact that uh, there's, there's to a very large extent a great amount of uh, faith uh, which is being displayed by a young, upcoming, uh, adventurous uh, asset consuming class and investing class, particularly from India and also elsewhere in the world. Uh, this is clearly something that needs to be noted uh, as, as uh, prominently as possible. And what I also am pretty uh, intrigued about is that uh, the cryptocurrencies today and uh, not just in India, but elsewhere in the world are dominated by private players, private miners and developers of these currencies. And for India, the uh, NASCAM is of the opinion that uh, cryptocurrencies can have a positive impact uh, emerging as the fastest growing technology subsector. It's expected to play a transformative role in a number of strategically significant areas like healthcare, safety, trade, and finance. And if that is indeed so, then the entire uh, perspective connected with cryptocurrencies uh, goes well beyond uh, the role they are envisaged to play just as uh, currencies. So I'd love to have your thoughts in this regard. Yeah, so there are a couple of things that are that we need to unbundle here. It's a, a large, uh, complex question. Um, first is that there is an intrinsic link between several uh, of the so-called cryptocurrencies. And I'm saying so-called because I think one of the uh, key drawbacks of terming it a cryptocurrency has been this direct head-on fight that uh, uh, crypto that the crypto ecosystem has had with central banks uh, and several countries that are now legislating or regulating around the crypto ecosystem are doing so by actually terming these to be crypto assets you know asset as a superset of uh, various other classes of uh, say securities commodities etc um, and not as currencies and, and and i think that does away with some of the kind of central banking concerns uh, not all of them um, but at the outset that's important to note the second is that the development of the blockchain ecosystem which holds tremendous potential and that nascom uh, seems to be evangelizing uh, and so many others are, and there are many governments, including ours, that has stated in the past that uh, we don't intend to kill innovation. We want to pr promote blockchain ecosystem. Several ministries have come up with blockchain strategies, latest of which being the IT ministry just, uh, I think, last week released uh, some new blockchain strategy, which I'm still to peruse. But uh, the point is, uh, as a corollary, many experts or uh, government officials seem to suggest that blockchain can exist without cryptocurrency and there is no intrinsic link between the two and therefore one can take a differential approach to both subjects and that's another myth that i think needs a little bit of busting because there are several cryptocurrencies so to speak uh, that basically incentivize developers to come and uh, develop new applications on top of the blockchain architecture that they run on. And Ethereum is the most, uh, I, I guess, uh, the widest uh, used and 
uh, most popular of such uh, blockchain ecosystems where uh, you can when when as a developer you start to develop a new use case for ethereum uh, atop of the ethereum blockchain ecosystem you get rewarded for uh, for the work that you do uh, using uh, ether which is also now a tradable asset and you can sort of buy and sell it in india and so on and so forth so there's a close link between uh, incentives uh, or rather incentives is the bridge between cryptocurrencies and blockchain without cryptocurrencies you don't have incentives in the blockchain ecosystem that you need for open innovation to flourish as it is today while there are many skeptics uh, uh, or there are lots of um, skepticism around what are the eventual use cases at scale for uh, blockchain or, as well i think the point is that you can't uh, un- discover those use cases unless you actually incentivize the private um, players um, to to really drive this ecosystem and be incentivized through the use of uh, crypto assets or cryptocurrencies or the uh, the allowances to the trading thereof so that's also i think an important uh, thing to unbundle right at the outset for your listeners and finally you touched on the the important factor of the youth and i think i missed that in the first set of drivers that we were describing you are right absolutely that there are a la- large number of people young people and uh, these uh, you know young now uh, the the parameter for what is young i think may have changed since uh, you were young sir but uh, <laughs> perhaps i will count up till 40 or 45 year old um people as uh, you know part of this uh, young populace in india which is productive working earning an income has disposable income and so on the uh, they have really um, uh, you know th- across the world there seems to be some sort of a kindred uh, spirit among among these uh, in terms of looking at uh, the future and what it holds and i think a lot of how this asset pricing is happening is is on the basis of that expectation of the future and uh, this would have been true of any kind of asset whether it is gold or silver at a point in time when people decided to ascribe a certain uh, qualitative and quantitative metric to uh, to valuation of that asset and i think that's the same thing that is happening playing out in this ecosystem uh and it's a very long term um you know play in a sense because you're betting that in 10 years or in 20 years this decentralized ecosystem which is symbolized uh most prominently by cryptocurrencies is going to take over the worldwide web and represent the web 3.0 uh as they say which is a decentralized version of the internet which much much greater control um uh, you know much greater transparency and proof of provenance and so on and so forth uh which which of course has many use cases trust as a use case uh, and you can extrapolate from there into infinite numbers of uh, use cases vivant that's uh, again uh, you know something which which makes us ponder about the uh, status of regulations surrounding cryptocurrencies and here i wanted to come specifically to the indian context and there's a lot of talk that's uh, taking place around uh, how to regulate cryptocurrencies and uh, we we look at uh, the broad perspective of digital currencies in india as it is being unregulated till now and there is a proposal that uh, there is a bank of india will introduce uh, a digital uh, rupee 
And at the same time, uh, there will be a set of regulations that will be proposed for uh, controlling the private cryptocurrencies. So this is uh, perhaps uh, going in a direction where the prospects for private cryptocurrencies might not be very encouraging. What's your uh, view in this regard? Uh, to sum up my thoughts and then I'll unpack them, I think that CBDCs or uh, central bank digital currencies, uh, which do represent the future of uh, central uh, of money in a sense of digital money issued by central banks um, and private cryptocurrencies or cryptocurrencies more generally uh, will indeed continue to coexist in the future. Uh, uh, as the CBDC and cryptocurrency use cases, even as they are built out. Uh, and there are several reasons for this. And I think they must coexist and they should coexist. And I think they will inexorably coexist. So uh, I'm quite confident that as countries um, uh, begin to experiment with the use of CBDC. So firstly, just to just again, for the sake of your uh, listeners, CBDCs is not the same as cryptocurrencies. CBDCs are digital money. It's essentially dealing, doing away with the with the current ledger system that uh, that central banks have, uh, where they need to involve intermediaries uh, to be able to do their accounting. Instead, you have money in bits and bytes, and the settlement happens in real time without uh, intermediaries uh, 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 that are used to settle um, the exchange of money. Uh, and, and that's basically CBDC. So CBDC is central bank money digitized. There are multiple forms of CBDC and I, we don't need to get into that. But broadly, there is a wholesale CBDC and a retail CBDC. The wholesale CBDC can be used to settle between banks, for instance, transactions and between the central bank. And uh, um, the, um, a retail CBDC would be would have a much wider use case where any consumer can use it and you know buy goods and services in exchange for it. Now, one of those goods and services or assets that consumers could buy in a retail CBDC environment would indeed be cryptocurrencies. And that then links back to the regulatory question that you asked, that a number of governments are looking at the public interest concerns, including security most prominently, perhaps. Uh, which links back to the old days of cryptocurrency discourse where it was largely used or supposedly largely used to, uh, you know, access uh, illegal uh, goods uh, such as drugs on websites like Silk Route. And that was the origins in some sense of the retail transactions of around cryptocurrency, which now are a negligible uh, proportion of uh, cryptocurrency transactions. In fact, less than I think 0.5% of them uh, are, are, are supposed to be now uh, for any illegal, illicit activity, which I think would perhaps um, bode well for the comparison with cash. But in any case, coming back to this uh, proposition around security, if I was to transact and buy all my cryptocurrencies using central bank digital currency, uh, it, it just bodes well, it engenders a greater level of transparency uh, to uh, to my transaction portfolio and uh, and and therefore allows regulators to track, monitor, analyze transactions more closely in the cryptocurrency ecosystem. So I think it's very important for the two to coexist in that sense and in another, which is that um, which is something that we've written about recently, which is that 
you know, some of the countries that are at advanced stages of CBDC deployment, including China, uh, may obviously want to uh, uh, to internationalize their uh, their digital money as soon as possible, and some of them may have uh, uh, a much greater or or much be maybe much more accelerated in their uh, in their efforts to do so. Now, unless we want a new form of digital dollarization to happen, which uh, which basically means that uh, instead of the dollar, you have a Chinese yuan or uh, Chinese CBDC in circulation in Asian countries, um, unless we want that kind of concentration risk to happen around a, a new digital currency, I think it it and and given the fact that countries like China have actually banned uh, the use of uh, private cryptocurrencies or cryptocurrencies more generally uh, countries like india which are looking at regulating this ecosystem must also keep that larger strategic context in mind that uh, competition between cbdc's and cryptocurrencies around the world bodes well for uh, you know competition between currencies more generally uh, between cbdc's uh, more generally as well as between cbdc's and cryptocurrencies which uh, which is a better environment for a country like India, middle power, than uh, than is an environment where you basically have CBDCs competing with each other and no alternative currencies in the mix or assets that are used uh, to to um, uh, that 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 can be exchanged. So it's it's a mix of strategic considerations as well as uh, the entire security consideration, transparency, etc., which. Uh, which leads me to believe that uh, CBDCs and cryptocurrencies must coexist as far as India's um, calculus is concerned. Vivant, the interesting point that you raise over here is uh, the the question of coexistence. And I'm quite sure that uh, coexistence is uh, an issue which, which, if handled properly, and dealt with carefully can happen. It's it's clearly not uh, something which is beyond the scope of effective and efficient regulation. But unfortunately, what appears to be driving the, the larger part of the conversations around the regulation is the fact that uh, cryptocurrencies by themselves, at least for a country like India, are not particularly good for a variety of reasons and we need not go into the details of those you touched upon a few of those peripherally in your responses so there seems to be from the reports at least that are coming out into the papers that uh, there's going to be a move there's a greater policy consensus on prohibiting private cryptocurrencies and allowing the cbdc uh, of the rbi to float but over here There's also another point that is coming up that uh, it seems that the authorities uh, do recognize the fact that uh, the cryptocurrencies are here to stay. Uh, They are the instruments of the future and it is uh, literally quite impossible to just uh, banish them from the space of financial transaction and intermediation. And with that in mind, there is a view that while their currency functions might actually be limited or controlled or not allowed. They might be allowed to be used as investment assets. Do you agree with this view? You think is this a line worth pursuing? I think it's a interim solution until we build supervisory capacity around the cryptocurrency ecosystem. 
one can't argue with this because the if we were to impose a complete prohibition uh, which is unlikely to happen now uh, we may wake up five years from now and find ourselves in a world where the world has moved on cryptocurrencies and cbdc's uh, you know continue to exist in the global uh, financial ecosystem the the financialization around this and uh, sort of the future of finance uh, is also closely connected to these developments and we'll find ourselves excluded from it and find it extremely hard to re-enter this environment and build supervisory capacity from scratch when uh, when when if uh, this ecosystem becomes ubiquitous and in, indeed uh, a part of our future so i think from that standpoint india has taken a cautious calibrated approach which one can't argue with because after all the kind of uh, fiduciary uh, you know responsibilities and uh, the the sort sort of uh, financial inc- um, literacy issues in the country wherein we have again the low levels of participation in the stock market is indicative of this right you have only 30 million like i said invested in the stock market of which uh, dr palit i think perhaps 50% are from gujarat and maharashtra alone uh, so the rest of the country is really not part of this uh, uh, of the financial services economy in a sense, aside from now using digital payments quite widely. Um, So there is a sense where these investors need protection and uh, therefore uh, to allow, and also on the uh, financial stability front, the RBI is not very confident of what will happen when, if there is a run on say bank deposits as a result of uh, of the proliferation of cryptocurrency is something that even the Bank of England with such an advanced um, uh, economic underpinning is uh, wary of. Um, but the answer to that is not to say that because there is a financial, potentially a financial stability risk, particularly linked to a few of the uh, cryptocurrencies that may be neater substitutes for currency, um, there there is a, there is a logic to banning because then you lose the ability to build supervision capacity altogether, which is a horrible situation to be in uh, if five years from now the world changes as it seems to be. And uh, the the associated uh, element to this regulatory outlook is that, as I mentioned at the outset, we have a few large exchanges now operating in India, which means that uh, you have a large intermediary uh, to make responsible for various regulatory mandates that can protect investors, which includes better KYC. It includes uh, reporting on uh, 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 under uh, existing uh, money laundering provisions. Uh, It includes uh, the kind of self-reporting and governance that say the SEBI mandates under uh, its um, existing uh, set of statutes and so on and so forth. So it, it is the exchanges make for a compelling case for a regulated ecosystem to be allowed to prosper even as india looks at global trends builds international consensus because remember even that international conversation is going to be very important you i mean we are not going to be able to do things in isolation this is also something that the prime minister has recognized in speeches that he's made recently we have also you know we we sort of a part of processes within the g20 and the fata financial action task force uh, around money laundering and terror financing and so on. There are lots of issues there. There are issues around interoperability uh, that we're looking at internationally. So we have to be an active part of these conversations and not be 
you know, underrepresented in them, uh, as is, has traditionally been the case in technology conversations. We have a lever in a financial in the in the this frontier market, uh, in a sense, in this frontier technology. In that we have a, had a Cambrian explosion of innovation in India around this technology. There are hundreds of firms, and every IIT and every you know engineering campus will have at least a bunch of boys and girls who are experimenting with blockchain and its associated use cases and are incentivized by the use of uh, crypto assets and trading in crypto assets and cryptocurrency. So there's, I mean. One lesson, uh, Dr. Palit, I think that you would agree as an economist who's been looking at this uh, uh, this country is that wherever there is momentum, I think the role of the state should be to regulate that momentum, but not to put a sudden stop to it, uh, because that really then erodes uh, economic value. It you know you basically are devaluing everyone's time who's participating in this ecosystem, even as you put in place the guardrails for investors and consumers. Uh, to not be expropriated, to work through legal, regulated reporting uh, exchanges that are registered with authorities and enable you to really uh, surveil and supervise this environment uh, effectively. And if you don't do any of this, then I think in five years time, like I said, it will be uh, the, the world would have moved on. Right now, just to sort of put a, you know, just uh, to round this off, in the world also of digital finance, it's important to note, there's a three-way contest ongoing. There is the traditional fintech companies that are trying now to create you know, greater monetization and commercialization prospects from the, for themselves by adding values, by, by uh, stacking value-added services to the, to the mix and uh, you know, making money, uh, which could include you know, insurance and now even this whole conversation around digital banking is basically fintech companies wanting to uh, figure out uh, ways to monetize their uh, base. Then you have big tech companies that are uh, that have used network effects and are now you know well positioned to acquire new customers uh, in uh, offering them financial services uh, because they have low customer acquisition costs. They already have such a large base. And the third part of this triad is this whole decentralized finance. Uh, and and what it portends. Uh, even if you don't have, uh, you know, use cases at scale in India today, you can't discount the possibility that that third part of the uh, triad will also lead to new forms of competition, disintermediation, uh, and in fact uh, may even address some of the competition and concentration uh, uh, issues and risks that you see in the other two ecosystems. So I think there's that whole competitive free market logic to also allowing the digital financial ecosystem to really mature in India uh, through this three-way fight uh, while we supervise and regulate it um, to the best of our abilities. Vivan, I think that was uh, really a very long-term, deep and well-thought-out uh, perspective that you provided on the subject. And yes, I do agree with you that uh, for the Indian economy, it's extremely important to capture nurture and keep going the great amount of uh, innovation and talent which is actually moving into the cryptocurrency space uh, regulations are essential but regulations should be for enabling and encouraging they are not supposed to throttle uh, the momentum that has been built up because that would only be amounting to adding 
regulatory cholesterol uh, to a to a healthy sort of capacity. So with that, Vivan, uh, thank you so much. We have come to the end of an extremely enlightening and productive conversation on cryptocurrencies in India. Thank you so much for joining us, sparing your time and enlightening us with your valuable thoughts and suggestions. Thank you. It was a pleasure. You're welcome, Vivan. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, that was Vivan Saran on the subject of cryptocurrencies in India. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ISAS series of podcasts, South Asia Chat, and we now welcome you to join us for our future series of the episodes on this as well. Take care and have a good day. Thank you. Thank you.